I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but uh, a couple of years ago, I was uh, driving through a, a fast food restaurant, picking up some lunch. And when I got to the window, the person said, the car in front of you paid for your meal. And immediately I had this thought, I need to follow that car around until dinner. and see if it'll happen again, <laughs> right? I don't know if anything like that's ever happened to you. Actually, I've had that happen a few times where like some random person just felt so inclined to pay for the meal of the car behind them and uh, I was the recipient and uh, that's, a, that's a pretty cool thing. And I've, I've actually done that on a couple of occasions. And um, when I've done it, had someone ask, hey, why did you do that? The answer is pretty simple because I was a recipient of that kindness and generosity and I felt like I needed to pay that forward, right? Like I, 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 I'm not really that smart and uh, I don't know, not that thoughtful, I guess, to where I would just naturally do that, you know, but like, because it's happened to me, there've been moments where I've wanted to pass that on to someone else. I'm sure there've been other experiences in your life where that's true, where something happened to you that was a huge positive and, and it stood out to you and you thought inclined to, to bless someone else in a similar fashion. In fact, coming up on the Christmas season, that's what many of us are motivated by in terms of being a part of our Real Hope Christmas uh, event or being a part of what God's doing through Go 2030, our vision for the next seven years. You know, it's, it's because we've been a recipient of something unique and special and, and we wanna pass that on to others. In fact, if you kinda wanna go to the baseline of, of why Bell Shoals does what it does, why we do what we do. Like for those of you who are new to Bell Shoals, you're wondering why does Bell Shoals do what it does? Like why do we do what we do? It's simply because we have been the recipients of such overwhelming generosity, kindness, grace, and mercy. We feel compelled to pass it on. I mean, really, when, when, when it comes down to the heart of our mission, right, like, like we're, we're motivated by something that goes far beyond someone providing a meal for us in a fast food line. We're motivated by the fact that the God of this universe graciously sent his son to die for us in our place for our sin. He rose from the dead on the third day and is now ruling and reigning on high and he's coming again. And because of God's lavish kindness, grace and mercy in our lives, because he's chosen to save us through his own initiative at his own cost, because even now he, he's filled us with his spirit and is motivating us to live lives of faithfulness to him. And because we have this hope and this promise of eternal life with him, we are compelled to pass that along to others who don't yet have it. You know, debtors to grace become ambassadors of grace. Like when you're indebted to grace as we are to the Lord Jesus, that becomes a motivating factor for being an ambassador of grace. Of sharing that love, that hope, that joy, that kindness with others. You know, we do what we do because of what God has done for us. We have received something that's overwhelmingly 
life-changing, and uh, it's our privilege to pass that along. That really is our motivation for what we do here at Bell Shoals. And over the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Difference Makers, and it's been our desire to encourage you to be a difference maker where you live in your sphere of influence because whatever your story, whatever your situation, whatever your past, whatever your present, God can use you to make a difference in the lives of others. And we've shown you some powerful stories this month about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. You, you've seen some inspirational examples of what it looks like to simply be a normal person in a normal situation, right? But yet have God use you in an extraordinary way. And that's what this series has been all about. Ordinary people making an incredible difference. That is what motivates us here at Bell Shoals, to simply pass along what God has given and entrusted to us. As we wrap up the series today, you're, you're gonna hear an incredible story of guess what? Some ordinary people doing some extraordinary things by simply passing along to others what God has given to them. And, and today's really about taking a hold of our collective future relative to reaching the world with the gospel. We, we've talked so far in this series about life and, the, and the, 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 the blessing of every human life and how God can use every single one of us for his glory. We've, we've talked about church planning and, and the blessing of being a part of a new work. We, we've talked about adoption and, and how much God uses that to highlight his adoptive grace in our lives. And, and today, as we wrap up Difference Makers, I want us to think globally about our motivation for missions, why we do what we do, why we support who we support, why we're challenging every single one of you to be on mission with us over the next seven years. It's because it is our privilege to pass along what we have received. And to do our very best to ensure that others experience what we've experienced through the kind, gracious, initiative of God because debtors to grace become ambassadors of grace. And that's always been the case. And so to highlight this today, I want, let me take you back to Genesis 18. And uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to turn there with me. This is going to be our, our primary focus today, Genesis 18. And, it, and, and this might initially strike you as an odd passage of Scripture to highlight what it means to make a difference through the the grace and the mercy of God, because I'm gonna take you back to the moments before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> and when you think about, okay, I'm gonna make a difference and, and I'm gonna be motivated toward mission. Where can I go in God's word to be motivated to mission? I know Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> That's not typically where we go, but I wanna show you something here that is incredibly important theologically in terms of our timeline of seeing the, the work of Christ in the world. There, there, there's been what I call a thread throughout human history of, 
of, of a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do when he walked the earth. And in fact, we, we see echoes of the ministry of Jesus long before he actually came and walked the earth with us. God was, was preparing us for what the Messiah would look like and what he would accomplish. And, and God's done that historically through a, a number of different channels. But one of the people who God used to kind of highlight the ministry of Messiah is Abraham. And one of the moments in Abraham's life where you see how he foreshadows the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of Messiah, is, is, is right before God destroys Sodom. Maybe you've never seen this before. It, I, this is actually a pivotal moment in the life of Abraham, and it prepares us for what Jesus will accomplish because Abraham takes it upon himself to be an ambassador of grace to the people of Sodom. And this is an amazing thing because the people of Sodom were Canaanites. They were the enemies of God's people. As you probably know, they were a wicked, immoral people. Like there's really nothing about the, the Sodomites that would have pro prompted Abraham to be an intercessor for them. But yet that's exactly what he becomes. He takes on this role of intercessor for a people who were so wicked and evil, who were the enemies of God and the, the, the people of Israel. But yet right, right before God destroys them, there's one man standing in the gap to intercede on their behalf. It's an amazing thing. We might expect Abraham to intercede on behalf of Israel, but not Sodom and Gomorrah. But this is the situation. Let me show you to you. We'll walk through here, Genesis chapter 18, beginning verse 20. So the Lord says to Abraham, I've heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. And so I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. And if not, I want to know. In other words, the Lord says, I'm going to pay a personal visit here to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? The other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained there with Abraham. And so now you have the Lord here personally in this moment, this strategic important moment with Abraham. Okay, now here's what happens. Check this out. So Abraham approached the Lord and said, Lord, will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose, notice the boldness of Abraham. Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why? You would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you would not do that. Should not the judge of all of the earth do what is right? Now, this was a huge step of courage and boldness for Abraham to come before the Lord and say, Lord, surely, surely, wait a minute, surely you're not going to destroy the entire city. There are some righteous people here in the city. You're not going to sweep away the righteous and the wicked together. Lord, you would never do that. I mean, what boldness to stand before the Lord, literally in between the Lord's wrath and the people of Sodom who were so wicked. Here's Abraham standing in between them saying, Lord, wait, not yet. Lord, wait. Don't sweep away the righteous and the wicked. Now notice what happens. So the Lord replies, okay, Abraham, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. So Abraham says this, Lord, let's make a deal. <laughs> Behind door number three, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, and now he's gonna, well, notice the boldness here. Lord, okay, since I've already begun, 
<laughs> right? Okay, Lord, since I'm already kind of standing in the gap here, let me speak further. Even though I'm just dust and ashes, Lord, I understand you're the, you're, you're the Lord, you're the King of kings, right? Like you're, you're, you're the maker of heaven and earth. You do what you want, Lord. But, but, but if I may, since I've already kind of got this train rolling, he says this. Suppose there's only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five? It's as if Abraham knows the Lord may not find 50. Which makes his intercession all the more remarkable. And so he comes down. What about five? What about, we come off five. What about 45? And the Lord says, well, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. And then Abraham pressed his request further. Okay, Lord, how about 40? And the Lord says, well, I will not destroy it for the sake of 40. Now look at Abraham here. Please don't get angry. <laughs> Does this feel like any of you talking to your kids at some point in your life, right? Please don't be angry, Lord. Please let me speak further. Let me, let me press it. What about 30? The Lord says, well, I won't destroy it if I find 30. Abraham said, well, since I've dared this far, let me keep going here. How about 20? The Lord says, well, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me. If I speak one more time, suppose 10. And the Lord says, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. Again, it's as if Abraham knows the Lord may not find 10. 20. 30. You know, he, he keeps negotiating. He's trying to save the city. And, and we may ask the question, why does... Why does Abraham stop at 10? And the answer is, we don't know. That's a stupid question. Okay, so, no. Um, we really don't know, but I, I think it's one of two reasons. Uh, maybe a combination of both. One aspect of it, the, the, Abraham here is speaking to the Lord. And he's kind of pressed his luck, right? This is a little bit more pressure luck rather than let's make a deal. Okay, no whammies, no whammies, no whammies. And, and he's interceded multiple times here with no whammies. And it could be the case that Abraham's like, man, I don't know that I can press him beyond 10. That could be a factor. I'll tell you the other factor is Abraham knows that if he were to consider Lot, of course, his family, and then Lot's family, if he goes below 10, it may involve some of them. He wants to at least go to 10, right? Like... And he wants to make sure his family is covered. Lord, if you find 10, maybe Abraham's thinking, okay, well, if I include Lot and his family, I mean, surely we're going to get to 10. Maybe he didn't think he had to go any lower. It's just, we don't know the exact reason, but we know, here's the point. In a city that large, we, we've gone down to just a very, very small number, right? And, 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 and the point is, listen, if I have anybody here that's righteous, I'll spare this city. I knew Lot was there, who, who was Abraham's family, but there don't seem to be many others. And so here's what happens, verse 33. So then when the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way and Abraham returned to his tent. And there were many priests under the old system for death prevented them from remaining in office. But be, oh, hold up, sorry, I'll go to Hebrews. Back up, back up, sorry. I'm going to come back to this in a second. Um, 
he, he, here's, here's why the, the conversation with Abraham and the Lord is so significant in human history. You ready for this? This is the first time in the scriptures that you have a man speaking on behalf of others in an intercessory way before the Lord. This is, this is the first intercessory prayer we have in the Bible. And it comes at a very unlikely place. Abraham interceding on behalf of these wicked, vile enemies of God. And so you say, why? Why would Abraham like take it upon himself, risk his own life, standing between the Lord's wrath and Sodom and Gomorrah? And, and, and here's the ultimate big picture answer, okay? He, he, here's why I highlight this today, thinking about making a difference, right? You think, how in the world does this apply to me? Well, here's the thing. Abraham, right, is ultimately pointing us forward to the ministry of Jesus, this moment in Abraham's life is recorded for us because this is a foreshadowing of what Jesus will do. He, here's what Abraham is doing. Abraham is not just praying, he is priesting. He's, he's taking on a priestly role, standing between the, the people and the Lord, and he is, for the first time in human history, demonstrating the, the priestly work of what ultimately Jesus will do. And as significant as Abraham's intercession was, hear me now, it does not compare to the intercessory work of our great high priest, Jesus Christ the Lord. You see, Abraham prayed for people, Canaanites, who could harm him. You know what Jesus did? He prayed for people who were killing him. Abraham risked his life for these people for whom he prayed. Jesus gave his life for the people he came to save. Abraham here discovers as he's talking with the Lord that God will save others through the righteous intercession of just one person. Abraham discovers this, Jesus accomplished this. Because what did Jesus do through his intercessory work, the work of one who is truly righteous, he brings salvation to many who are unrighteous. And Abraham here is pointing us forward to what Jesus would do for us. What did Jesus do? He stood in the gap between God's wrath and our sin. And he said, Father, by my righteous intercession, I'm asking you to spare these who will repent and believe. And the Father says, on the basis of your righteous intercession, your sacrificial death, I will accept. I will pour out my wrath on you instead of them. And in that way, Jesus accomplished intercessory salvation for us. That's what Abraham's pointing us forward to. So now let me take you to Hebrews. I got a little excited earlier. Sorry about that. All right, let me take you to Hebrews 7, all right? Here's what the author of Hebrews says. There were many priests under the old system, right? 
for death preventing them from remaining in office. Okay, but look at this. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever, and therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf, and even right now is interceding for you. So that when your accuser comes to you to shame you, to, to uh, lead you to doubt and to disbelieve, your Savior, your great high priest who lives forever and therefore has an eternal priesthood is interceding on your behalf saying, no, Father, the accuser has no voice here for these are mine and you are secure in Christ. Your great high priest who offered a one-time sacrifice for your sin, not an ongoing sacrificial system, a one-time sacrifice, and who through his own righteousness intercedes for you and covers you, therefore, with his own righteousness so that the father sees you as a son or a daughter. And like Abraham, Jesus performs his intercessory work for a people who don't deserve it. But when you receive it, it's life-changing. And when you receive it by God's grace, don't you feel compelled to pass it along? To not keep it to yourself. In part because in God dispensing his grace to you, he used someone else in your life to, to do it. And there's no, I'm just telling you, there's no greater joy and there's no greater privilege in all the world than to be an instrument of that grace in the life of someone else. A people who are debtors of grace are ambassadors of grace because there's something in us by the power of God that just leads us to a compulsion to share what we have been given. And like Abraham, this is a little bit of our priestly ministry to stand in the gap between the king of glory and the wicked world in which we live and say, Jesus, not yet. There are more you can save. And I don't know if you've noticed, but our world is pretty messed up. <laughs> if you haven't noticed that, <laughs> I would love to meet you. Because you might be the most naive person in the world, and I would love to meet that person. Our world's messed up, and our world's going the wrong direction, right? And let me, let me give you a little bit of news here. It's not going to change. And it can be, it can be very easy for us just to say, Lord, would you just zap this group of people right here? Just zap them. Come on, you've thought it. I've thought it. Come on, we've all thought it, right? It may be that crazy driver on the road. It may just be one person, one car, maybe. But it's maybe a whole group. Maybe it's just like, Lord. And, and there are moments, okay, and sometimes this is a righteous indignation. Sometimes it's because we, 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 we grieve to see such evil flourishing in the world today. I get it. But, 
But, but here, here's what the scripture says. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, right? Like I, we, we think, God, what's taking you so long to return? And here's what Peter tells us. I'll tell you what's taking the Lord so long. He's gracious and patient, not desiring anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And it's you and me, Belshul, standing in the gap, saying, Lord, our hearts are grieved. At times we have this righteous indignation. Lord, we are weary of the wickedness in our world. But Lord, not yet. Lord, there are others to be saved. And it's this moment in our history where we have an opportunity like Abraham, right, to stand in the gap and do what we can to reach as many as we can to pass along what God's entrusted to us. And, and we know that what we do is gonna succeed. It's not wishful thinking. It's blessed assurance. And the reason we have Go 2030, our seven year vision to launch more campuses to reach more people with the gospel, to send more members out on the mission field. Because we believe that we have a window here in our lifetime to intercede on behalf of those who need the Lord. And we know that as we stand in that gap and give and go and pray and send and support, that God's gonna do what only God can do. And eternity will reflect this intercessory ministry of God's children. I don't know about you, I wanna be a part of that. And for 60 years, Bell Shoals has been a part of that. And we're gonna to continue to be a part of that until the Lord returns because this is the privilege we have to stand in the gap. This is why we give. This is why we pray. This is why we gather. This is why we go. And one of the rich legacies of Bell Shoals are the number of missionaries that we've partnered with and supported over the years who are still going strong, still serving on the field, still welcoming teams, still partnering with us in the battle, and they're making a difference. I'll tell you, I've told you this before, I'm gonna say it again, that Bell Shoals has some of the finest missionaries in the world today. We have such an incredible group of men and women that God has called out from here and, 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 and uh, brought into our past so that we can support and visit and, and partner. Listen, it's incredible. And today I wanna, I wanna introduce some of you and maybe just reintroduce others of you to one of our finest missionary families on the field. Been there a long time now. One of our greatest partners. We're sending numerous teams. We're gonna send three teams next year to Steve and Pam Kearns on the field in Central America with a ministry that's really global in scope. And their story, listen to me, their story is a story of some ordinary people who were called out into this intercessory ministry to make a difference for King Jesus. And the result has been hundreds of thousands of people professing Christ as Lord. <laughs> Just by being people who are committed to making a difference. <laughs> I'm just so excited to show you the story of Steve and Pam Kearns. Let's watch this together. Global services, welcome to Freeport. In 
of 1981, moved to Louisiana, and we started going to this church, First Baptist Kenner. There was a man on staff there who led the outreach ministries, Leo Humphrey. Leo invited Steve on his first mission trip to Central America, just happened to be going to El Salvador on that trip. Steve went, he came back, and I don't know who the person was that came back. <laughs> and that trip, I saw 12 people pray to receive Christ. And I, I was just so fired up there, so receptive. So I made another mission trip to go down there in uh, March of 1984. And while I was walking the streets and sharing the gospel, God started speaking in my heart about, I'd like you to move down here. And I said to God, well, I know you're not calling me because I've never been to seminary. My wife would never leave the United States. I'm an engineer, I'm not a public speaker. I can't talk to people very well. And I happened to be reading a passage where David numbered his men and God punished him. And finally, one day, it hit me as I was studying that passage, I'm just like David. I'm numbering my men. I don't have the faith to believe God can use me. I need to believe that God can overcome all these things that I put in the way. So I said, I'm going. And I went out to my wife and I said, what do you think God wants us to do long term? And she says, well, you know, I, I just think that God might be calling us to the ministry. And I said, great. Where do you think he's calling us? And she goes, well, California, of course. And I said, what do you think about El Salvador? And she goes, send me a postcard. I thought, you're crazy. I read the news. Do you not read the news? El Salvador is in the middle of a civil war. The whole country's blowing up. In El Salvador, terrorism and guerrilla activities have become part of everyday life. Seizure of hostages is frequent. And I thought, there's no way. I, I, how can you go from full-time work and earning money and raising a family and building a house and being very involved in ministry to just cutting ties with all of that and moving to a foreign land, a foreign culture, a foreign language, a foreign ministry, just like that. So I said to her, why don't you pray about it? And let's just see what God does in your life. You know, I will not go unless God speaks to you. So over the next 10 days, God really got my attention. I was pregnant with our second child, and a couple of days after Steve gave me the news, my body started threatening a miscarriage. The doctor very clearly did tell me, he says, you're probably having a miscarriage and there's really nothing you can do. You just have to let the process take its course. It's, it's natural, and he told me what to expect. I'm in the greatest country in the world, and yet God has put me in a position where there's absolutely nothing I can do with probably the thing that is the nearest and dearest to my heart, a child. It's never too late to do what you should be doing Para hacer aquello que tú deberías de estar haciendo. In the place that you should be doing. En el lugar donde lo deberías de estar haciendo. And Jesus will exceed your expectations. Y Jesús va a exceder tus expectativas. 
I made Jesus my savior, there's no question about it, and he was probably Lord over 95% of my life, but there was that last 5% I didn't want to surrender. And so right then and there, I had to get into the trenches with God, and I had to say, I surrender. But I woke up the next morning and the entire situation with my pregnancy, 100% resolved. I had not even one symptom of the 10 symptoms I had, not even one. And that following May, a nine pound, three ounce baby girl was born to us. So she was good. <laughs> the hardest day in evangelism is getting started. That's the hardest part. And so the reason I like you guys so much is because you said this week's about souls. We're going to war right now. And we got, we got about 15 minutes before we're gonna head out. It was shocking when I landed in El Salvador and I got off the plane. I was greeted by lines and lines of soldiers holding automatic weapons, carrying very large backpacks with camouflage paint on their faces, looking very, very serious. Anyway, after two weeks, we moved into our apartment and Steve asked me, he goes, what do you think? He was very proud because he had chosen the apartment on his own and he had gotten it all completely set up. He had done really a good job. But for me, it was just like an explosion of emotions. <laughs> I just cried. <laughs> Why was that? Uh, because it was reality. It was my new reality. And I knew I wasn't going back. The war was right there. It was right there at our footsteps. And to me, to risk my life is one thing. But the faith really has to step up to risk your kid's life and, and your wife. And just thinking what people would say, what an idiot, what a jerk that he would risk his kids. He would give up a great career for his kids to go off and just go off into a war-torn country. And that was a point where I was ready to go back. But God showed me, but I called you here. I'm going to take care of it. And he did take care of it. The whole story of the Bible is that to experience the greatest joy and the happiness of life, I got to be willing to die to self be raised to a new life with Jesus. It's not what I want, it's what he wants. Because he knows what's the best for me. He's not interested in your comfort. I mean, he is, eternally, but you're gonna spend eternity comfortable. He's interested on changing this world and he can't change this world without sacrifices. It's impossible. You will never experience all that God has for you until you're willing to die to self. So I knew we made the right decision. I knew it's where God wanted us. But I also knew, like, I needed, my faith needed to be stretched more than it ever had been stretched before. So we're here tonight, even though it was raining, it was raining up until a little bit ago. And what we've learned is, whether it's raining or whatever, you still need to go to the activity. Now, it does affect things. There's a lot less people here in the park right now, unfortunately, because it was raining. But we're gonna keep working here until some more people will come. First year I lived there, we had 12,000 professions of faith. It was just unbelievable. So I got a real burden. What are we gonna do with all these people that have prayed to receive Christ? So I got a really burden to get involved in discipleship and follow-up. And so the idea was, we're gonna start a church, we're gonna try to witness as many people as we can and disciple them. Because people love animals so much, what we do is we announce this 
animal competition where the dog that walks the best across a rug or the best dressed dog or the best dressed owner or the best trick. But what I want to emphasize on that is the key to the activity is not the pet festival. That's just another thing of breaking the ice. The key is you talking to people one-on-one. -on -one. And so we've started sending out missionaries and we've sent out missionaries to Honduras, to Tegucigalpa, and then San Pedro Sula. We've sent out missionaries to Bogota, Colombia, San Jose, Costa Rica, Managua, Nicaragua, Guatemala City, Guatemala. But during this whole time, I had a burden to reach the big one. You know, the big one is Mexico City. I would say the majority of the people here in Mexico City are probably Catholic. Many of them have been born into Catholic families. Maybe their parents kind of tried to raise them Catholic. Maybe some went to some Catholic schools. But it's interesting, as they get older, that's not really something they follow. It's just kind of part of their culture. You do run across people who are very committed Catholics, but you also run across a lot of people who they, they really don't know much about the Catholic faith. They don't really practice it. And it's really cool because they're very open to hearing about Jesus. I'm just really excited about Mexico City because it's such a key city to reach. All of Mexico is the biggest city in the Western Hemisphere from the last statistics I saw. And so it's a key city to reach the rest of the world. And that's the idea we have. We just had an amazing visit. Middle-aged lady who has really had a difficult life. So she prayed and she lifted her head up and when we looked in her eyes, everything had changed. What keeps me going is the fact that I get to see people saved and I know what the transforming power of God is gonna do with their lives. My prayer is that I will either share the gospel with a person one-on-one -on -one, or I'll preach a message and then die right after that. I, I don't want that wasted time. I look back on what God's done over the last 36 years, and we've had over 380,000 professions of faith in Jesus Christ and helped start 65 churches. And I look at that, and other people will watch this or hear something and think, man, that's Steve, he's a great guy. But I know myself, I'm a nobody, I'm a nothingness. And it just shows you how great God is, because if he can use me, he can use anybody. Bell Schultz, will you join me in welcoming Steve Kearns with us today? Amen. Amen. Man, it's so great to have you, and thank you for sharing your story with us. 
I should note, Pam is here. She's not mad at Steve. Uh, but she's over at our Apollo Beach campus today. And uh, we're excited about that. But thrilled to have you here at our Brandon campus. Um, for someone who's new to your story, new to your family, uh, tell us about your family. We saw some younger pictures of, uh, <laughs> yeah. of I your I feel children. so old now. <laughs> yeah, we've lived there 37 years, but I was very young when I moved there. I was 26 years old. And we have four children and 10 grandchildren. And um, one of our daughters we just saw yesterday as we were flying in, we, we had to stop off in Houston. And she was the girl that was in my wife's womb. And she's just a special girl. My wife always says she's special because I was suffering and going through that call from God. And she is a special girl. And so uh, she has four kids herself. She's a nurse practitioner. And she loves to share the gospel with everybody. That's why she likes to be a nurse practitioner. She can share the gospel with everybody. So. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's such a neat part of your story, how the Lord brought you and Pam to a place where you accepted that call to go. But then, and you touch on this in the film, God's blessed your family as you've navigated uh, life in El Salvador. So tell us what it was like, especially in those early years with all the unrest there um, for, for you and your, your children. Yeah, it was two sides. On one side, it was very dangerous. Um, uh, 70,000 people were killed during the, the Civil War. And um, that was nerve-wracking. But we were very careful. I had my family in a place that had security. It was an apartment complex. And that was one side of it. But the other side is people were so receptive to the gospel. When, when we moved to El Salvador, it was 10% evangelical. Now it's 40% evangelical. It, when you see these professions of faith, it's more than that. It's people have going to church, and churches have grown, and we're sending out missionaries. So it's been a movement by God, and part of it is because of, of the Civil War, is people thought about life and death every day. Yeah, and, that's and right. made them very receptive. And so people will always say to me, well, Steve, is it dangerous, like Mexico City or wherever? And I used to always apologize for this. That's really not as bad as you think. And I thought one day, shouldn't Christians want to go to the most dangerous places? Because the only thing that makes it undangerous is Jesus. There's nothing else that will change that up. And so when a group comes, we're very safe. We go to the safest places. We've never had an incident with a, with a team that's come. Right. But I just say we had those two sides. There was the danger, but there's tremendous receptivity. That's right. and, and I share with those numbers, we had 12,000 people make professions of faith just the first year. That's right. And, and it's, I mean, your story is a modern-day example of what we've seen for 2,000 years through the church that... The, the, the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. Exactly. You know, to, 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 to the unsaved human mind, to do what you've done, going to El Salvador in the middle of a civil war is foolishness. But God, in his infinite wisdom, has a plan and a purpose that thwarts that of human beings, right? And the safest place to be is right where he wants you to be. And, and you know, I was thinking about your message right now. And um, I had a friend, I grew up in an atheist home, and so my family could not understand what I was talking about, you know, answering the call and everything. And um, I had a good buddy that I went to high school with. He went to study electrical engineering at University of California, Berkeley. I went chemical engineering at University of California, Davis. And um, when he, I shared the gospel with him, and he didn't get saved. And when I, when I shared the gospel, he told everybody, Kern, you know, we always call each other by our last name, Kern is crazy. <laughs> And um, he went off to Silicon Valley. He became a millionaire by the time he was 50. So in the world's eyes, he did something, you know, and I'm the loser who went to El Salvador. But I saw him <laughs> recently at a funeral of one of our buddies from high school. I hadn't seen him for a long time. He looked at me and he says, 
Kern, how much longer are you going to stay down there? It's kind of like, when are you going to get over this, you know, this thing? <laughs> and I said, Bordelotto, that was his last name. I said, you know, I can't get the vision of what Jesus did for me on the cross. I can't, I can't get that out of my mind, thinking about your message, what he did for me. It's the least I can do. I don't have to do it, but it's the least I can do. And one of my other buddies, who was one of those high school buddies, he's ruthless, you know, cutting you down all the time. He goes, he goes to Bordelotto, he says, I think Kern has understood what life's about mm. before all of us. And sometimes we think when we make those tough decisions, people just think we're crazy. But long term, the wisdom of God wins is what I'm trying to point out. That's exactly right. Okay, so tell us about your ministry there. Again, for someone who's new, we have a lot of right. um, people here today who are new to your ministry. So tell us over the past, especially the past 10 years or so, how your ministry has grown and you have such a vision to send missionaries out right. all over the world. So, so tell us a little bit about that. Our heart is we want to send out Salvadorian missionaries to other countries. Um, when I was re preaching through the book of Acts um, in our church, I noticed that one of the things Paul did that was different than missions at that time, and I'm not trying to say we have the greatest mission program. I'm just telling you where it came from. We noticed that Paul targeted major cities. Right. Um, and all the missionaries I knew were in the countryside. And, and we work in the country too, it's very important. And then we noticed that Paul only would go to receptive areas. If people weren't receptive, he shook the dust off his feet. He didn't stay in Athens, for example. Yes, that's right. Which strategically you say, why didn't he stay there? Well, they weren't receptive. And then the third thing is teams, just to send out teams. So we started this ministry called Metro America 020. And part of the team was the groups who come down. When you start a new work, you need to get as many contacts as you can. And so many of those professions of faith you've seen have been teams coming down. And we live in a part of the world where people really like Americans. No politics, but they love it. People are afraid to make the trip. The first day it's gone, that fear, because they see how people can't believe you would go there and share the gospel. They all want to come up here, you know. So you go down there and you, you tell about Jesus. And so the week that you're there, we hit schools in the morning and plazas, and then in the afternoons we go to neighborhoods, and then we take all those names, of, I call them professions of faith. I don't know how many really got saved. Right. But then we follow them up and get them in discipleship. And we have a three-part discipleship, which takes them, if God calls them to ministry, all the way to seminary, to send them out as missionaries. And so that's, that's our vision to do. And the groups who come down are such a huge blessing because we get a lot of contacts and we can go visit them up. And I, I can just tell you one story. This yeah. is one story. Yeah. Our missionary in Bogota, Colombia, that we sent out, we had a team come down one time many years ago, and um, he made a profession of faith. And I remember going and visiting his house. I always give him a hard time because when I visited his house, his, his mom came out and said, you need to help this boy. He's, he's all crazy with this rock and roll stuff because he played, he played a guitar in a, in a, in a band and everything. <laughs> and, and we shared with him. And he says, yes, I made a profession of faith in an activity. And so he started coming to church. And he really had not got saved. He raised his hand and during one of the messages. And then we went through discipleship, went through the whole process. And now he's our lead pastor in Bogota, Colombia. It all started with a group who came down. We did the part we have to do, the follow-up and all that. Yep. And now he's doing that. And, and I don't want to, there's so many stories I could tell you. But yep. it's fun to do it together. We really believe in teamwork. Yeah, and, you, and we've had a meaningful partnership with you for years. And, um, you know, we consider you our own. Um, we love you guys. And the partnership that, that the Lord's given to us has, has just been strategic and, and a, a blessing, I know, to everyone who's a part of Bell Shoals who's been. And we are sending more and more teams 
in the future. And in fact, we're sending three teams to you next, teams. just next year, yeah. right? El Salvador, Nicaragua, and Mexico. Okay, so tell us uh, about those trips. Uh, one is a student trip, so you- That'll be in July. Yep, that'll be in yeah. July. So, so uh, our students will be going to be with the Kearns that week. Um, but we've got two other trips that everyone here would be certainly eligible yeah, to be a part of. Yeah, we'd love them to so. come on the one in, in, in May, which is the San Miguel El Salvador, where we've started another church. That's the second major city in the country of El Salvador. And so they would be helping us out. Kind of what I said before, you know, we hit schools and plazas. The, the philosophy of good news in action is go where people are at. Don't wait for them to come to church. We, we've always been that way. And we want to go go to where they're at, you know. Yep. This is what hit me with the book of Acts. That's That's seems to be the most common verb. They went, they go, they go. You know, you're right. always going to people. That's right. And that song, I told you, I, lo I love that song. The last song that you sang. Yeah, we will go. That is, it's, 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 it's just awesome. Yep. And so um, you, you'll be doing that in San Miguel. And then we have the other trip, which is to Mexico City. Yep. And Mexico City is where the church plant that is new. And it's unbelievable. You just see thousands of people walking around. And, and you think like the states, well, they're not going to want to talk. No, if you stop, they'll want to talk. They want to hear about Jesus. And That's so, right. I just close with saying this about the trips. When I first went to the mission field, you saw the picture of the guy that, that coordinated evangelism in that church. And he told me one time, I believe there are more people in the world who want to hear the gospel than Christians willing to go. Yeah. And I thought about it and I said, that's ridiculous. You know, I was a young guy, this is some <laughs> old guy saying this. I guess I'm the old guy saying it now. <laughs> I believe with all my heart, with all my heart, there are more people there in Mexico City that want to hear than us that are willing to go. And so yeah. I see myself as a recruiter for the harvest. The harvest is why Jesus didn't say pray for the harvest, right? He said pray for what? Yeah, the laborers. The workers, the laborers. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's my prayer that you would answer the call and you would be used by God. You don't, to, to, to be a full-time missionary, that's a call of God that's different with different people. Most people aren't gonna do, do what I did. But to go into a, on a one-week trip, I think that's just obeying the Great Commission, and it'll change your life. Yeah. And, and you most likely won't be a missionary, but you know, a lot of times when you're in a situation where you don't see people saved, you can get a little discouraged. But being able to go to a place and see people that are hungry, man, yep. it just it fires you up. It's Absolutely, yeah, there's nothing better. And so I wanna encourage you today, as you leave, obviously you can do this anytime over the next several weeks, but uh, as you leave in the lobby to the right, we have, uh, tables and leaders for every single one of our mission teams that are going out next year as a part of Go 2030. Like I said, we have two opportunities uh, with the Kearns. And for some of you, uh, your children or grandchildren will be going on our student uh, team. But uh, even not to, with the Kearns, we've got other opportunities you know. And just stop by, talk to our team leaders. Uh, we're going to Cuba. Uh, as you saw a couple weeks ago, we're going to Cincinnati. I mean, we're going all over the world. And we'd love for you to be a part of it. It's just like you said, it's life-changing. Uh, there's, there's nothing better. And, um, and so uh, Steve and I will be out in the lobby. Uh, we'd love to connect. I know some of you have been on teams and uh, you'd love to see this guy. Um, and uh, thanks again for being with us today. I do, want, I do want to give you one thing before you go. So um, as a part of our Go 2030 initiative, we are cultivating and just um, extending these mission partnerships we have. And so... 
we want to give you $5,000 to go further your ministry <laughs> okay. and uh, to help you wow. continue to launch what you do, in addition to the other support we provide, okay? But we want to give you a little kind of um, shot in the arm today and say, keep up the great work. Wow, We're behind you. you 100%, and we love you guys. Thank you And are so, so grateful much. for you. Thank so you so much. Parents, all right? That's a tremendous blessing. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you.